welcome to the Supergirl Supercast, part of the incomparable network of podcasts. I am Trishy Matson, And I'm David Schaub. Today we're going to be discussing Season 4, Episode 13, What's So Funny About Truth, Justice, and the American Way. David, I believe you have a recap for us on this episode. I do. Lena starts working with the DEO. Wait, Lena isn't sharing her research, but that's why they broke up. At least Claymore inspires Alex to trust Supergirl and Lena. But Katko is going to report on their boss. Messy. Nia starts training with Brainy. Apparently dreaming and differential calculus are sparring techniques. While Brainy controls Nia's knowledge, Kleenex, or Kellex, gives Nia the goods. At least they're on the same page now. Hat breaks Manchester and Menagerie out to form the elite. They teleport around, killing alien killers, and become popular. After using Supergirl to get Claymore details, they try to blast the White House. Supergirl stops them, but the elite escape with Brainy's Legion ring. The President built an orbiting weapons platform. Even Haley is shook. Supergirl chooses to blow it up after arguing that America should only have her for protection. John questions his pacifism through a series of clunky scenes. And Ben Lockwood becomes the director of Alien Affairs. Oh my. Right, so uh, quite a few things happened in this episode. I don't really... They didn't really explain the title. Um, unless, you know, you're just talking about idealism in general. Uh, and the the struggle against, uh, you know... Real politique, or whatever you want to call it. Um, I understand that that has something to do with a comic book uh, title that I haven't read, but for Superman? Yeah, it's a reference, I believe, to a comic about the elite and about how Superman has to make choices about levels of violence and that kind of stuff. I have not actually read that comic, but I agree that it only barely fits into this episode. But what do you do? <laughs> Okay, so yeah, that that was one of the ethical questions in this episode was uh, levels of violence. And obviously you have two extremist groups, the elite, which is the name of the new evil team of Manchester Black and um, Menagerie and a new guy called The Hat. I think just Hat. Just hat, okay, and um, a Marai that apparently survived. A Marai that gets no lines and has no name. It's very sad. Yes, they, they even on the team, it is depersonalized. Yes, even to the point where they make the joke to Kara, they all look alike to you. <laughs> yes. It was just sad. The Marai uh, does not get a good role in this episode. No. Uh, and, you know, I presume that this is one of the abused children that the U.S. government uh, programmed and turned into a fighting weapon and then rebelled. Um, so it, it never had much of a shot at growing a personality, but still um, sad. But I, I do like that it comes back up again. I think that's worthwhile. Um, good continuity. Having it not just be forgotten. And it's a good... One more thing that the U.S. government is effectively creating to do damage to themselves, which this episode also repeats. Right. 
but before we go too far off track, I was I was talking about extremists. <laughs> so the elite are one group of extremists. Um, the uh, Children of Liberty are, of course, another group of ex- extremists, both of which are just fine with violence and terrorism. Um, there's government-sanctioned violence, i.e. the... Uh, Satellite of Death, and I, I guess D.E.O. and Supergirl. D.E.O. is somewhere in the middle, and Supergirl, you know, is is held up as the ideal level of violence only when it's necessary. <laughs> I would maybe maybe I'll give you John and Alex and the D.E.O. They're the ones trying to find the middle ground. But there's an argument in this episode that Supergirl is an extremist. Um, Given her arguments that she should be the only protection for the world and that it is how she does it that it's the way to go, I could see an argument. Maybe she is an extremist. <laughs> okay, I, I, I do not concede the argument, but I recognize that there is an argument on that point. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I could ask. <laughs> <laughs> There, we can be reasonable, David. <laughs> I don't know if I'm saying Supergirl is the bad guy in this episode. <laughs> I'm not going that far. No, I would But hope she's not. not blameless. <laughs> oh, and of course, there's also the my hands aren't dirty level of violence of Lena, where she's creating weapons, but she to give to the government, uh, or she's allowing it to weaponize people, but she's not turning over the procedures for doing that. So apparently that's where her moral line lies. And if that conversation had happened in the previous episode where her and James actually talked about something, I might have been okay with it. But I was shocked by how Lena presented this agreement in this episode versus the hard line that we saw it in the previous episode that broke up their relationship. In that episode, it's like, oh, you're going to share your research with the government. I don't know if I can do that. And Lena's saying, well, we have to break up. That's obviously just the only solution to this problem. And then in the next episode, we have Lena distrusting the government, not sharing her research. These two people just can't talk to each other. Is that the problem? I think in last episode, Lena broke up deliberately with James. I, I agree with that. I do agree. I, I think she planned that going into the conversation, which makes it weird why she wanted to fly to Paris in the first place. Maybe she just had some kind of realization in the car in the, or limo. I said in the podcast that when she was looking at her phone and then she looked out the window, that was her decision point. Mm -hmm. And I therefore do agree that the conversation in the last episode was kind of moot. But it it just feels a bit arbitrary that they didn't really communicate and anything they did communicate seems invalidated by this episode. But to be fair, this does give us what Deanna was concerned of last podcast. There is a redemption path for Lena. So Lena Demption is still, I think, well within reach. Sure. Especially when eventually we're going to have her evil brother for her to react against and either come back to the middle or just seem more centrist in comparison with him. Yeah, I'm, I'm still hoping that's not the redemption path, that, that she actually chooses something. Not. Oh, I, I would much prefer that, but we'll see. 
<laughs> exactly. It's definitely going to be a big wrench in the multiple story arcs that are going on in this show. Right. Well, we're this is 13, and I think the season is either 22 or 23 episodes. And so that doesn't give a whole lot of time to bring Lex Luthor into the picture and treat him with any kind of Depth. reasonable weight for the character that he is. Well, think of it this way. You could fit an entire Netflix season in that. So <laughs> maybe if it's done well, they can do it. That's true. If, <coughs> excuse me, if they uh, compact the writing a little more. <laughs> and that's the thing. This show is trying very hard and it's doing a very complicated job because it's trying to run all these different plots all sequentially and keep track of all of this stuff and motivate everyone. And it's just, they are, like the last episode, a little overfilled. And in this episode, to me, it was the John storyline that felt just one story arc too far for the mm -hmm. amount of things they tried to push into this episode. I think they needed the Brainy and Nia stuff, but everything about John felt just wrenched in and hammered in and just tried to make it work. And none of his scenes and the little story arc with Manchester really held together for me. Um, they've, they've obviously, you know, been tipping us off to the fact that Jean has been struggling with his route to path pacifism and, you know, wanting to get in on wade in and protect uh Kara or whoever so it's not like it came out of the blue uh, for me it did feel a bit crammed in for this episode though exactly i don't mind the story arc it's just there was too much in this episode and they even seem to have john constantly trying to guess why manchester invited him to the jail and the answer is there is no watsonian reason for it at all <laughs> it's purely Doyleist land of, well, we need John to have the story arc, so we need to introduce him, and then we need to create this with Manchester. And then it ends with, okay, well, we're going to have to have John fight Manchester and wallop him and take him to the ground, but we don't want that to really matter to the plot, so let's just have Manchester vanish for no visible reason <laughs> and avoid the rest of that situation. It, oh, I liked oh. their acting. I liked what they did with each other. It's just did not fit this episode. Well, I did feel like uh, Manchester was doing a little bit of the unbreakable thing, where he is uh, manipulating Jean to turn him into the action-fighting superhero that he wants him to be, instead of the pacifist private detective. Um, <laughs> but even so, then, why? Uh, maybe he feels some kind of kinship with him? I don't know. I suppose. <laughs> I And I think they could have sold it. It's just a function of this episode. And I really did like the line, I've got bigger fish to murder. <laughs> There's some great dialogue between them. Yes. But it just was just crammed. Oh, well. Right. Another motivation decision that moved a little too fast for me in this episode was Alex suddenly liking Supergirl again. Exactly. Um, we've gone from, don't call me Alex, call me Director Danvers, in a very short amount of time, to Supergirl showing up at Alex's apartment and Alex not completely freaking out the way she should have. Uh, the line was, oh, you make house calls now? And I really feel 
she should have had a stronger reaction to this alien that she doesn't really trust showing up at her at her place. And uh, I did like that her main objection to the satellite seemed to be more about I should have been on the list to know about this <laughs> than and that's fair. <laughs> oh, it's totally fair. But it doesn't quite excuse a lot of the rest. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I have difficulty with the Alex of two episodes ago being absolutely okay with Kara destroying a first-line defense weapons platform on a planet that has been repeatedly invaded by spaceships. Yeah. I mean, I don't particularly trust President Bo Boxleitner, and the pol policy did seem to be shoot first and question ask questions later. But I mean I mean at, at the first time you'd want some you'd want some kind of multi verification before <laughs> the thing could be set off. Um but I could go on and on about uh US military security in this episode, but <laughs> but really it's like watching an episode of Star Trek. There is no security. <laughs> right, right. But uh she she didn't seem to be Alex did not seem to be particularly horrified by the idea of the uh first strike energy weapon. But oh well. Um I mean, I feel like they want us to feel like it's nice that Alex and Kara are being friends despite everything because they are sisters and and they feel like sisters. But I think the material in this episode could have explained a uh, smoothing out of their relationship. But it just, it didn't work because as soon as Supergirl showed up, the smoothing looks like it had already happened. Yeah. And it's almost like an editing problem. Had Supergirl communicated to Alex what the military was up to before coming there, even that would have held together better. But it wasn't until the end of that conversation that it could explain how the conversation started so well. Mm-hmm. So maybe there's like an editing or just a, a writing challenge there for how they wanted that so fast. Okay, so um, I guess having discussed a few of the episode themes that are bothering us, <laughs> we can go in and talk a little bit more about, you know, things that happened in the episode. So there's the training stuff. Um, Supergirl takes Nia and Brainy to the Fortress of Solitude for training. Um, they encounter uh, Kallax, is that the name of the robot? Kallax, uh, I think. Uh, right. Brainy instantly dislikes him, I suppose, because being an advanced, I forget what the firm, bio-mecha form, whatever. Anyway, he, he probably feels some kind of a bad comparison with this uh training with the fortress butler robot whatever it is i was really trying to understand what they wanted us to think about that like these two are not getting along almost to a comedic level and yet it wasn't funny and yet it wasn't funny and that's <laughs> often a problem with the attempt to use brainy for humor but was it just trying to be funny i just ended up going but why are they so upset at each other and to imply, well, one's a cyborg and one's a robot, so they don't like each other? <laughs> really? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, that was the only reason I could think of for that, but all right. They had been introduced before. I didn't notice this as much in that time, uh, but maybe there was some previously as well. 
Was this the first time that Brainy slash Brainiac 5 has been named out as Quarrel Docs? Because I had to look him up on Wikipedia to reconfirm that that actually is his name. I I don't remember his name being used before, but it could have happened very quickly when we were for, first introduced to him. But I don't remember him being called anything other than Brainy or Brainiac. Makes sense that if you're going to have someone to use a different name, Kellex is probably a fair entity to do that. Strange, nonetheless. I really did not understand why they wrote them that way and, and made it so heavy-handed. I suppose it's because they they are the competing sources of information for Nia to some degree. Okay. Um, another thing that happened is that the evil rookie, the not-Nia character, Mackenzie, uh, talks to James and asks to pick back up her investigation again, which James had kind of quashed before. And this time James says, yeah, you should look into that and see if you can get your source to go on record. So I guess James actually does his job. (laughs) Right. He makes the right decision, even if I'm not completely convinced it was for the right reasons. Is this, is this, he's no longer dating. So he's objective again, or is he being just a teeny bit spiteful against Lena? I don't know. I didn't interpret it as spiteful. I interpreted it as I am no longer compromised. And therefore, suddenly not having that as a bat in the back of my mind, I'm just going to do what I should have done the first time. I didn't interpret it as spiteful. I suppose that's possible. But again, they're still about to do this report on their boss. And that's not going to be pretty. Uh, no. <laughs> Uh, I can't imagine that she'll take it well. Okay, let's talk about Ben Lockwood. He's at a bar in D.C. A guy confronts him. Uh, he's been Ben has been dodging this guy Cooper's calls. And uh, Cooper says, you know, the, the boys have have been... We're out here keeping the torch lit. What are you doing in your fancy suit? And uh, Ben says, I'm meeting the, the president. And Cooper says, oh, and did you know that Manchester Black had escaped? Uh, stunned face. Later on, Ben meets with the president and Ben says he wants the president to deputize the children of liberty, which, by the way, I think are just sons of liberty. I, don't, I haven't seen any daughters of liberty in this organization. Yeah, we discussed that in the last podcast. I thought we had seen maybe one. (laughs) Because I think there was a woman in the scene where we first saw Nia use her power in the Steel Factory. Right. But that's, I think, the only one. Okay. Anyway, uh, President Boxleitner laughs at the suggestions and uh, pats Ben on the head and not really, and says, just look pretty for the cameras. Um, Ben later shows up at a meeting of the Children of Liberty, all upset because um, uh, nobody called him that this meeting was happening. And uh, Cooper says, hey, you said before we are all Agent Liberty and uh, we are agents and agents means acting and getting things done. And Ben uh, takes his you know, gold or bronze looking mask that they had been using as a simple and uses it as a bludgeon to beat the heck out of Cooper and says, I hope nobody else questions my leadership. And they're all like, no, no, you're the boss. 
Um, I want to know if that surprised anyone. Uh, I don't know. It wouldn't have. It wouldn't have surprised his local chapter because they've seen him uh, do things before. But this was supposedly some kind of national meeting, so of the underground. Or I don't surprised know. the audience. Oh, what, did it surprise the audience? Well, not me. No. No. <laughs> <laughs> we were just waiting for the fuse to go off. <laughs> right. We also had a scene where, before the he snapped, where he was, uh, it sounded like he was talking to his wife, Lydia, and then it turned out it was just a voicemail. Um, so I don't know if there's trouble in the household or if she was just, you know, off running errands or whatever. And finally, after everything goes down with the satellite, uh, Ben go me meets with the president again, and president says, I can't deputize all your people, but how about you take charge of alien affairs for me? And Ben is very pleased by this. I really thought this was an interesting little arc for Ben, in that mm -hmm. in the first scene when he's talking to the jerk in the bar. Right. Ben clearly is just trying to move on. He's trying to say, okay, I'm going to become a political machine. I'm not going to become a terrorist. I think he was stepping back. I think that he had been endorsing terrorism before because he felt like no one in the government was listening to the alienophobe uh, <laughs> citizens. Yes. And he felt like, uh, you know, they, he's been released from prison. He's got a talk show. People are listening to him now. So maybe he felt like violence wasn't as necessary or at least that, you know, that they could uh, use a, a bit more nuanced <laughs> violence than just going around beating up random aliens. Um, but as soon as he learns about Manchester. Mm-hmm. Then it's like, wow. It's like, oh, no, wait a second. Okay, I still don't care what this jerk is telling me, but I have stuff to do. <laughs> right. And he's like super agitated, super almost going to lose it. It's like, okay, that, that changes things altogether. Yep. I did like that. There was a good, strong shift. It felt like a better motivation than, say, maybe for the John storyline. I can understand the transition here where Ben is super motivated to get involved and make sure explicitly that the elite do not, well, come and kill him and his family, which is presumably the first thing that's on his mind. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I of course, don't like what he does, but I do feel like Ben Lockwood's character was one of the more coherent ones <laughs> in this episode. Yeah, I would say that's true. The phone call you mentioned, I watched that scene twice. Mm -hmm. I still don't quite understand how it's written. The first time, I assumed he was talking to her, and it wasn't a message. The second time, I knew it was a message, but the conversation still didn't make any sense. It was very strange. I almost wonder if they changed their mind as to how to do that scene, or just maybe they wanted to show that Ben was a little disconnected from reality during mm -hmm. the phone call, because that writing was very peculiar. Yeah. Hmm. Okay, so Nia gets Calix to show her her abilities, and so she leaps ahead in the training program that Brainy thought she should have should have been undergoing, and that's a fait accompli. Um, but Brainy Brainy doesn't 
really berate her. And he, he kind of says, Oh, well, breaking boundaries and pushing limits is what superheroes do. So we don't, I don't know why he wanted her to be training slow or, you know, if he actually thinks it puts her in danger to suddenly be able to quote, use raw dream energy, unquote, <laughs> as a weapon. Um, <laughs> the super science is beyond. I'm a little disappointed because we have so many characters who punch, and I thought Nia was going to be, you know, kind of an informational character, and now she's going to be another physical battler, and I find that slightly uh, disappointing. I think she could have been more interesting uh, if she hadn't learned to be an offensive fighter so quickly. In many regards, I think I called it that she basically is being treated like a Jedi and she kind of mm -hmm. knows what's going to happen next. Therefore, she can optimally act. And maybe she's stronger than humans also. It's kind of hard to tell. But I agree. I was so hoping that their training was going to be all hanging out in mind palaces and yeah. dream analysis. And I was really hoping for that. And then the silliness I mean, of dreaming and differential calculus, just what are they doing? Oh, my. <laughs> yeah, she she really should be reading dream analysis books or, I mean, maybe Earth human dream analysis wouldn't be the same as whatever her alien race dream symbology would be. But then again, she was raised on Earth, so, I mean, some of the culture must seep through. <laughs> but, well, I already said, I'm disappointed. <laughs> I am as well. Especially because in the scene in the Steel Factory, I kind of liked how they did that. They they gave her sort of shots of what was going to happen and then actions. And maybe this is a, a director issue where it was, they've just had a different director who decided to present it in a different way. But this is remarkably different than that scene. And I really liked that scene of her first using her powers in combat. And mm -hmm. I was really bored of them in this one. So maybe they will do it better going forward. Hmm. I think another uh, interesting angle on this is I agree that I don't quite understand Bernie's motivation because he seems fixated basically on removing Nia's agency for deciding how to train. <laughs> and his initial reasons are, I'm from the future, I can't tell you things from the future for temporal wibbly-wobbly reasons. Right. But obviously, Kellex just knows what is known in our time about her planet and her species, and that was all the information she wanted anyway. So it just seemed this bizarre him putting up blocks in front of her for no really good reason. Maybe just so that we can get the scene where, oh, he approves when she decides to reclaim her agency and just push forward. But it did seem a bit strange, because the, the reasons did not jive with what we actually saw. Yeah, Brainy thinking that he knows better than everybody else is basically his modus operandi. Um, maybe Nia just hasn't developed whatever it takes to push back against him effectively, although she did manage to go behind his back <laughs> effectively. In this case, yes. Right, in this case. It does seem to fit in that previous episode when Brainy acted the dude bro, because Brainy kind of acts the dude bro sometimes. <laughs> 
Well, yeah, the the condescending cyborg explainer. <laughs> the only person more condescending in the show than Brainy is Supergirl. <laughs> She's just uh, nicer about it. <laughs> she has the social skills that he he lacks. One of the things earlier about combat fighting, I was very very confused why when Manchester and Hat were breaking out that they decided to give Manchester a sword, which he then proceeded not to use because this is a TV show and they can't show bits of limbs being chopped off all the guards. No, it was the stupidest fight. He had the sword and he was just hitting their billy clubs with it. Um, It was such a stupid fight. Yeah. I've seen this in the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle cartoon. I don't really need to see this here. (laughs) If you don't want to show limbs flying like we're in Deadpool, that's okay. But then don't give him a sword. Yeah. Just a bizarre choice. Yeah. I kind of have to view that as a writer fail because Hat didn't seem, you know, I don't think it was that they were saying Hat is stupid for giving him a sword. Um, (laughs) It just... uh, Maybe impish. (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) It was just a little oddity that didn't really... Not only didn't work, but just looked silly while it was happening. Had is certainly presented as remarkably powerful. I don't quite understand his powers because it turns out he can't just be shot. There's a lot of power there. He can pull things out of his hat, like swords. He can use the hat as a, a, a flying weapon, like in um, the James Bond film. He can do some kind of swirling black cloud that comes in out of the hat and teleports him, if I understand that correctly. I don't know. There's that scene later with Manchester Black vanishing. But other than that, yes, he has some type of teleporting power. I thought maybe Manchester Black vanishing was the uh, Mirai picking him up. Can it do things that the Mirai touches become invisible to? I don't, that was, that was always sort of a glowy, hazy thing. I don't know. Hmm. Maybe that's what it looks like when Hat pulled Manchester Black out of his hat. I Maybe. don't know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, well, you mentioned good lines before, and yeah, there definitely were some really good uh, lines in this one. Um, when Supergirl meets Manchester Black and the Menagerie at the diner, uh, Manchester Black says, let's make a deal. And Supergirl says, I accept your surrender. It's It was an obvious line, but it was fun. Well delivered. Never. <laughs> I entirely wrote down those three lines as well. I thought they were wonderful. <laughs> Though really, almost the line before it, where he asks why she didn't use the door, might be the best in the entire episode. Why did she f- come through the ceiling? <laughs> Yeah, um, let's see, what else did I like? Uh, There's a super science one where they describe the map, which is described as a flash that they don't actually put in the show, which is strange, mm-hmm. as a superliminal stimuli embedded in structured light, which I'm pretty sure translates to Supergirl saw it. <laughs> <laughs> um... Let's see. I, I also liked uh, Manchester Black saying that, you know, talking about how they know about the satellite because they questioned government agents. And that's why we formed this band of merry men and mer- menagerie. Uh-huh. And he says, all right, sorry, merry people. 
He's not offended. He'll take that correction. Absolutely correct. <laughs> yes, yes, that's true. Sorry. Um, but uh, I, I just liked his delivery of that. I, I do enjoy that actor, even if his reasoning and actions are, are of course, I cannot endorse them. But um, <laughs> I really enjoy having him on the show. Brimming over with charisma. His other good one was referring to Ben Lockwood as the Grand Bloody Wizard of the Children of Liberty. <laughs> it was a pretty great name for Ben Lockwood. Yeah. <laughs> There's other bits of dialogue which I thought was really strange. One is the trick you do, which is, if you keep saying the same thing, maybe the audience will believe it's true. Mm -hmm. And the one that they constantly repeat is a line which basically goes, is launching a satellite that will shoot down any alien spacecraft trying to enter our atmosphere. Now that line is said a couple times. Not by anyone who programmed the satellite, or is in charge of the satellite, or actually decides what the satellite shoots. You know, that's true. As far as I can tell, Supergirl and Jean did just take Manchester Black's word for it that the satellite was going to shoot, no questions asked. Hmm. Yeah, and there's no basis for that. Other than a couple of things that the president does. I think the president is pretty reasonable in this episode, and they're making him out to be the bad guy, and even Haley feels like she's been worked around and is, is shook from her not knowing. But I'm having difficulty, and maybe this is just Bruce Boxleitner being so darn nice. <laughs> but his line, I will not apologize for protecting my country, that seems fairly reasonable. As I said, this is a planet that has been invaded by space aliens. Having a weapons platform in orbit doesn't sound that unreasonable. And it's only because every time they bring it up, they describe it shooting down any alien spacecraft. They don't have to shoot every alien spacecraft. Mm. I mean, it could. Right. But it's just a weapon. And I agree that I'm not all generally for weaponizing space, but there's an argument here. And he was absolutely flatly right when he said that Supergirl didn't have to s destroy the satellite. Um, oh, absolutely. <laughs> and she flat out lies and says there was no other way. And she's lying. She's absolutely lying. And she truly believes that she should be the only superpowered person on the planet because she's going to stop all the crime. Well, her and Jean Jones. <laughs> Maybe, but her and her super friends. Right. <laughs> oh, and that's another point. They did actually use the word super friends in this episode. To mean what it means. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, in all of their conversations, I have a real difficulty siding with Supergirl. And I still don't know if I see that Baker is doing anything horribly bad, except for, of course, giving... Ben Lockwood, an important position, but in some regards, he only did that because of Supergirl's actions. Oh, right. It was absolutely a reaction to what Supergirl did. Because before he just patted Bruce, I mean, sorry, patted Ben on the head. Uh, and here he, he was definitely, oh, yeah, you're going to do that? Well, watch what I can do. <laughs> Again, that's a bad choice. That will probably bite him. And again, his previous bad choices of putting everyone in a normal jail, that obviously bit him. So we'll see what happens. I don't know. I have difficulty. Like Supergirl makes the argument, will you answer to your electorate the first time Claymore shoots down an alien ship that means us no harm? 
I don't know, Supergirl. I don't know if I see that happening. One, yeah. it doesn't have to shoot it down. Two, the electorate won't know that it meant any harm. And three, I don't know if most of the population is going to be all up in arms about it. And maybe that's bad, but it's really not much of a threat against this president. Yeah, that was a very ineffective argument, given that she knows there are so many uh, alien bigots out there, and given that the government would probably control the information about whatever shootdown happened. Um, at, at least it would control what it said that it knew about that alien ship. <laughs> did give me a question, though, because as far as I can tell, for some reason, whatever backwards corner of space Earth exists in, why are the only alien ships that arrive either space invaders or refugees? Yeah, where are the trading exactly. fleets? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Where's the trade? Where's the diplomatic missions? Where's talking to other alien governments? Other alien governments might have an issue if Earth instantly blows up any alien ship that comes around Earth. Mm-hmm. Like, that's declaring war on some alien planet. That's not a good plan. Right. So it just seems a bit strange that the aliens only do a couple things, which are alien bad guys or maybe some weird heavy-handed allegory for Jews in Egypt. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. One other thing I wanted to discuss was that when Haley was was being miffed about her not having been told about the satellite weapon either, she said something about uh, the president has been making, I've, I don't think she used the word erratic, but some odd choices lately or something like that. Um and I was trying to figure out what she would think was an odd choice for the president. Have we seen, I mean, we've seen him making choices we disagree with, but has he been doing anything all that odd? I don't think so. Okay, there's two things that she probably would question. I don't think she was for Ben Lockwood being released, mm -hmm. but that one's a small one. The bigger one would have been Menagerie, because they said that it was the president's call for Menagerie to be put into a normal prison. Mm. And that's clearly a stepping on Haley's domain and also was the wrong call and was proven to be the wrong call. Uh -huh. So that was one where the president used his way to probably do something which she would have done better. But I, I agree, it's a bit strange. And even the stuff with the Moray, she seemed a little not in the loop. Because mm -hmm. there's this question of, is Haley bad or not? And I'm still yeah. holding that I don't think Haley is bad, a little bigoted and biased, but I don't think she's bad. And I'm not even sure I consider the president bad. I just think he's a populist ass and tends to make horrible decisions. But either of them, I'm not sure if I would call them bad. I think this show does have a lot of interesting grayness where a lot of the bad guys, except maybe Manchester Black sometimes, there's mm -hmm. a degree of complexity in their character and even Supergirl because she does keep acting consistently like a Kryptonian and maybe right. not in the nicest ways. Hmm. So if we do accept Haley's uh, statement that the president has been acting oddly, uh, there are a couple of possible hypotheses for why that could be. Uh, he could just be an idiot, <laughs> um, you know, a populist ass, like you said. 
Uh, he could be somewhat controlled or certainly manipulated by someone. Come on, someone drop else. the Lex Luthor name. Right. Given conservation of characters, that would probably be Lex Luthor, who we st- we think he's in prison somewhere, but he could certainly be making donations. Uh, I- I'm sure the whole Lena... I'm sure he had many bank accounts that Lena and her mom never found out about. <laughs> so I'm, I'm sure uh, Lex is rich, even if he's in prison. And he, so he could be just manipulating things that way. Or there could be some kind of super evil science-y thing. You know, there, there's, there's multiple possibilities for why Box Lightner could be acting weirdly, including... Just the one that he's making bad choices. And I think that's still the most likely, but I could be wrong. I'll give you one that you might like. This is a world with image inducers. <laughs> Bruce Boxleiter might be Lex Luthor. Right. Um, I, I had thought about that and then thought that was too far out. <laughs> it might be, but I wouldn't put it past the show. That they got rid of an alien using an image inducer, and they got Lex Luthor as president using an image inducer. <laughs> and Lex Luthor does tend to end up as president. Well, so that's true. It's a thing. They could run with that. I mean, I, I have a hard time imagining evil genius Lex Luthor... Doing all the boring stuff that a president is supposed to do, but then again, hmm, uh, <laughs> 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 given <Reality>. realities, <laughs> that's not so far-fetched either. <laughs> I'm afraid not. I think that's about all the thoughts I had on this episode. Is there anything else you wanted to discuss? The only thing I'm really looking forward to is the real tour that Alex is going to get from Lena. Oh, yeah. Because... The one thing not referenced at all in that scene was Harunel being used in Lena's technology. Right. So that's going to get more interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll finally find out more about what's been going on. I was pleased to finally see Miss Tessmacher again. Uh, she's been off of episodes for quite a long time. Uh, I mean, I know... Lena likes to control every aspect of work, but we did see her working with Miss Tessmacher before, so I'm glad to see her back. Uh, and yeah, I, I agree. I really want to see the tour of the lab. I'm a little puzzled why Lena felt the need to set up a lab at DEO if she's just handing over products instead of procedures. That is a very good question, and maybe... We'll find out the doylest <laughs> reason going forward. Because really, a lot of stuff has happened, but for the most part, we're still in a holding pattern where we have about four sides all fighting it out in complicated ways, not liking each other. And it's going to just get messier. Yep. While I do have a lot of issues with some of the things in this episode, a lot of them are about the characters being interesting. Mm-hmm. Not about the show being wrong. I really did enjoy this episode. Oh, it was a very entertaining episode. Uh, you know, it was uh, it was pretty far from boring, and, you know, I can question the logic and the plot com- or character arc compression, but, uh, you know, it, was, it wasn't a bad episode. It, was, it had some quite fun bits, and uh, 
provided more food for thought. We'll see what happens. <laughs> we will. Okay, so I would like to thank you, David, for this conversation. Always interesting. Happy to be here. And I'd like to thank our audio editor for uh, polishing off our ums and <laughs> uh, little gaps and things. I'd like to thank our listeners. Uh, if you want to continue the conversation with us, you can join the incomparable member Slack group uh, and talk to us on the TV channel. Or you can find a, find SG Supercast on Twitter and uh, we, we, you know, tell us what you think about the show or about our discussion of the show. <laughs> and we'll be back soon with another podcast. Thanks. Bye-bye.